0: Hello and welcome to the Seeking Health podcast. I'm Josiah.
1: And I'm Injuska.
0: We were missionaries for seven years.
1: Until we stepped back in 2019 to seek health and re-examine our beliefs.
0: Right now, I'm a Christian, but not an evangelical.
1: And I'm an agnostic and also very much not an evangelical. And we are deconstructing.
0: And reconstructing. Together. together. Listen to some of our key episodes, such as Deconstructing Together, Domestic Abuse, I Am a Survivor,
1: The Cult of ATI, Part 1 and 2, and Dehumanized by Purity Culture.
0: Join us on our journey as we seek health together. And together with us
2: today is Lee Zook.
0: So Lee and I grew up in the same... I'm not sure
2: if you can hear me, but I definitely lost you guys.
0: Oh, hey, are you there now? Oh, there you are. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Lee and I grew up in the same northern town in Canada. Uh, And we grew up in a Mennonite church, which is a fairly conservative type of evangelical church. And uh, Lee left this area, went to the state somewhere, went to an associated gospel church, which is more Pentecostal. Eventually, as he's going to share, he had a journey of becoming more agnostic and then atheistic. Um, He's also a musician, painter and vegan. And we're just going to discuss your story. So
2: uh, how's it going, Lee? Oh, it's going good. Uh, I really appreciate you guys having me on. This is gonna be fun to talk about. Um, Yeah,
1: looking forward to hearing. Yeah.
2: Yeah, Yeah, I'm looking forward to
0: your story. Um, It's always fun to just hear real life stories and hear the ways that Christianity worked for people or didn't work for people and how they worked past it to find something healthy, something that worked for them. And um, so I'd just love to hear kind of, your story, your childhood. What's, what did it look like growing up in northern Canada in the Mennonite church?
2: Um. Well, yeah, I originally was from Pennsylvania, Lancaster area, and uh, a lot of my family's from there. And I moved up to Red Lake when I was, I think it was five. And um, you know, uh, I was in the Mennonite church until I was about thirteen. Um, at that point, obviously, I I believed. Uh, I didn't really think about it much. just Mm -hmm. kind of like oh this is what i've been told this is what's real and so i'm gonna believe it and then when i went to the ag church it was a huge shock it was like all of a sudden it was like wow people are like stoked about being a christian and like they they jump and they run around and the music's loud and like you know the youth group had these crazy lights and everyone's just so excited to believe in god and so Naturally, I, I, I fell into that. I was like, I'm excited to believe in God. I I love this stuff. Mm. And, um, that church there is also part of the reason why I started really questioning because it, they had a lot of extreme views and a lot of it had to do with, um, You know the the gifts of the spirit and stuff, and and I started to take issue with some of that. At one point, I actually had been taken aside by some of the leaders because I had not spoken in tongues, and I had been um, a student leader for several years. And according to their theology, if you don't speak in tongues, something's wrong. Like that is that is the sign you have been filled with the spirit, and Mm -hmm. it's very important to them that you speak in tongues. And so I was taken to a back room by was uh, three or four leaders and really questioned. Um, you know wh- why? What's what's wrong? What's wrong with your walk? Uh, is there something you're not telling us? Or you know uh, why haven't you spoken in tongues yet? And I didn't know what to say. I actually panicked and was like, "Yeah, what's wrong with me?" Wow. And um, after that, I started to to question some things, and I would get really excited about it because one thing I noticed was our pastor loved to read from two different versions um, of the Bible. He had two different translations, and he would really like to switch back and forth and say I like the way this one sounds better and then he'd say well it, he would also go back to the old Hebrew or the the, um, the, uh, the Greek and point things out and say see how this changes how we see scripture when you find the real word or when you use a different translation so I started to do that on my own and started to come up with some co- cool ideas like hey did, you know uh, I know you had posted something about this a while ago about hell. That was something I was really focused on for a while, and I found some really cool things about hell. And well, there's nothing cool about hell. About hell not being. <laughs> a thing. And <laughs> I, I, Got some yeah, I started to get, yeah, I started to get really shot down for it. And mm. I was like, why, why won't they want to hear this? Like they do this all the time, and the, like the pastor would do it all the time in the sermons, and in youth group, I'd hear all, you know, Hey, we discovered something new about this word or, and it, and, you know, it would change the way you look at things. That's what I'm doing, but they didn't like it. So they told me to stop. And a lot of times, and actually um, my brother, Nick at one point questioned something and, and he was told, trust the leadership. Like you, you don't mm. need to investigate this. And then I started getting that a bit. And um, so I, I eventually was like, well, I don't need this church. Like, I feel like I'm doing the right thing. This makes sense to me. How about I just take a step back And at that point I was in a a metal band and we, we were touring constantly. It was um, a Christian metal band. And so um, I was like, you know what? I'm going to let them be my church. I'm going to hang out with those guys. We'll talk about God. I'll do my research. Uh, I I won't go to a church. And then after I left the band, I started to get into it a bit more. Um, But I started realizing I was having more disagreements and arguments with Christians and not atheists or not believers anymore because i used to, to try and debate them all the time i, I love to do it but mm-hmm. it was like i started really attacking christians over atheists and over the next few years the more i i was thinking about things and reading things um at one point it led up to i i, I think i was 26 i was driving in my car i know i was driving back from red lake i had been visiting and I was trying to think of something and trying to like, have it make sense in my head, something about the Bible. And I couldn't do it. And then I just had a thought, why do I care? I don't believe this anymore. Hmm. And I was like, wait, what? I didn't just think that. And then I was like, no, that's actually true. I, I don't believe this anymore. And it, it was very upsetting. I was like, I know, I have to believe it. But then I had to also be honest. Like I, if I don't believe it, I don't want to try and, trick my friends and family. I'm I'm obviously not going to pull it over on God, you know, by faking that I I believe in him. Like, I'm just going to be honest with myself. So I called my cousin and told her, I said, I think I might be an atheist. And we had this conversation. And for a while, I didn't really say anything. And then I began to embrace it. And then of course, like a, a lot of people do this. I turned into a very angry atheist and thought the best use of my time was to attack Christians. And a lot of the attacks I'd put out there on Facebook were were problems that I had as a Christian that no one would answer. And so it was like, here, I'm going to violently throw this out there. I'm angry about it, answer it. And it would just stir up people and, and there'd be a lot of hate and yelling. and Well, not yelling, just capital letters on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, a- after that, I, I eventually kind of calmed down and just, Um, decided you know I I didn't fall into nihilism more I guess you'd say existentialism I don't like thinking about it though but um, uh, at that point I kind of found my purpose and that was really focusing on what I can do to help other people and non-human animals just anything that can experience I want them to experience good things where where I can help it and so that's where I really started to jump into ethics and that has kind of become I've had people tell me that's my religion now um, it's more of me just trying to live a consistent life while helping things that can experience, experience good things. Um, and so I, I get sure you can call it my religion, I guess, but that's, that's like, I guess the general overlook of my, my journey there. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I see
0: kind of, a a deconstruction journey and then kind of a reconstruction journey in what you said. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, there's a few things I wanted to um, ask to kind of clarify about your deconstruction journey. First of all I just wanted to for you know listeners that don't understand when we say speaking in tongues, um, there's a verse in the Bible that talks about speaking in tongues. it's a very debated thing. Um, it's it's this religious religious experience where people get so excited uh, in worship or, or you know they just get so excited in a worship service that they just start saying, stuff perhaps it's gibberish (laughs) i mean basically they start saying gibberish um and then people say okay well they're speaking in an angelic language or something like that um it is something that happens in other religions and it's something that happened in corinth so that's part of the whole picture but some people think that that is the proof that you are a christian uh is whether or not you have this spiritual gift of speaking in tongues i just wanted to make that clear what what that is um I also just want to, we're going to talk about this more. You mentioned nihilism and existentialism. Nihilism is the belief that uh, nothing matters. There is no objective, um, like nothing matters. Absolutely. Yeah. Is that what
2: definition you're working with? Yeah, just there, there's there's no point to anything. Nothing matters. We're here, we're gone. And a lot of nihilists even question their own existence. Like, are we, are we even really here? Like, yeah, yeah it's very negative. <laughs> yeah. And then
0: what what do you mean by existentialism? Because a lot of people mean different things by that. So what
2: what do you mean when you say Um,
0: existentialism?
2: I guess for me, um, I see it as accepting that there really is nothing and that there is no meaning, but trying to find a meaning in that regardless. Okay. Um, And so that's, that's, that's helped me a bit because when I started to fall into nihilism, I became really depressed. And then I found what I feel is, is a good purpose in, in helping others experience good things um, that even though I still believe there's nothing, I don't want to believe that I really don't. But even though I do, I have found purpose and, and found something that I think is, is um, you know, worth, worth at least looking into. Um, and so that it's there, there definitely is a difference, um, but both, both have to do with there being nothing.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: One, one's a little more positive. The other's just 100% negative.
0: If I understand existentialism, I have found it's hard to wrap my mind around what exactly it is as a philosophical system. But I think what it is, is kind of like, yes, but we exist. I exist right now. So let's find meaning in, yeah. in the fact that right now I exist in this precise moment i don't know about the future the past but right now i exist so let's find meaning right now
2: is that kind of a way of summarizing it yeah you could and that's that's what i'm what i'm trying to do um Mm -hmm. just finding meaning in a meaningless meaningless existence pretty much (laughs) yeah um yeah
1: it's interesting to hear that like from from my journey like it I connect to some aspect, like the angry aspect of deconstruction, like going on yeah. Facebook and <laughs> definitely um I'm kind of there.
2: <laughs> I <have> it, yeah.
1: <laughs> um but then like feeling your whole foundation shifting and falling apart from just the future, you know, the goal of heaven, like everything is for heaven. Heaven, yeah. everything's for the future, to like no life is right now, find meaning right now, because right now is all we got. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, it's an interesting shift.
2: (laughs) Well, and, and on your, uh, when you're talking about speaking in tongues, um, I guess going into a little more detail there, uh, one of the things that I had really tried to talk about to, to some of my friends and some of the leaders was our church was becoming obsessed with, um, this, this experience, you know, when you speak in tongues or when you prophesy, you, you are getting filled with the spirit and it's this wonderful experience. And it was starting to bleed over into the, you know, the drunken spirits, the, the things like that. And what I was saying was, Hey, can we step back a bit and remember that the gifts Are there for a purpose you're supposed to seek god's purpose and through that purpose then these gifts will manifest however you want to say it and it shouldn't be about you just experiencing something there's a reason that these gifts exist um and a lot of times the response i i would get was um don't put god in a box like if he wants us to do these crazy things like you know you, you you can't tell him he can't do that and then i said i i will put him in a box the box is scripture and if you start going outside of the box you really don't know what you're getting into. So you do have to be cautious there. And it's just, they didn't want to hear it at all. And so that was, that was something I was pretty heavy into for a bit. um, Because that the church was so focused on experience. um, And I I disagreed. Um, But yeah, yeah, that was just a little more
0: on that. That was something we encountered in one of our church experiences was, you know, you have this this tension like some churches are more conservative more they just want to read the bible and then at a certain point they're like hey like we can have more lively church services and and we can have more of a personal relationship with god and we can you know hear god's voice and maybe we can have these these great experiences with god where we're you know speaking in tongues or lose control of our body but at a certain point it just gets like weird <laughs> and and it's yeah, yeah. Uh, we did have an experience um I resonate with that, trying to pull people back from like, this is getting weird, guys. Like, whoa, like, calm down. Um, Right now, I feel like personally, I feel in this tension of trying to um, fix things in the church. Like, I want to bring change. I think Angiska just kind of. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) She's done. Um, But I'm trying to, I'm, I'm still holding on to hope that. I can be a voice for change. Um, and I hear that in you, that you went through a, t- a season where you were trying to bring change. Can you like, bring me more into that moment you talked about speaking in tongues and um, trying to investigate the Bible for yourself and being blocked? Were there other ways that you were trying to bring change to the church that didn't really work or perhaps did work for a season?
2: Well, um, I guess, so My my, the two things were, the the church was getting, uh, I'm I'm sure you've heard of it, but really getting into um, like Bethel, yeah, from um, yeah. California, like some of the stuff they're into, and again, that's I, I kept having to come back to what's the purpose of this? Like all you guys are talking about is like how important this experience is but I think God's purpose means more and, and we shouldn't seek experience for ourselves. We should seek his purpose first. And I, and that just was not met well at all. And so I was really passionate about that. The other thing was um, like I said, it, what started me um, on the um, like with, with hell, that's what really started me like getting, I get, I got really excited to dig into theology. And so it was just like, I didn't really have other than hell. That was one subject I was interested in. I was just looking for anything. Like what else can I pull out of these words that that'll change the way I, I think about this and just getting excited about it. And so I got discouraged very quickly from actually sharing that with people because of how instant the um, like it, it was just, no, you don't need to think about that. Like, no, just stop. Mm-hmm. And so that didn't last very long. That was something I kept more to myself for a long time. I'd share it with my bandmates and stuff um, and, and with friends, but outside of the church, but no, I, I, I very quickly um, actually just decided to turn away from the church rather than try and fix it. It was, it was more of, uh, I I'm doing this for me. Like this is my journey. I'm going to figure it out for myself. I, I, I no longer need this church. Um, and so, yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't put much effort into f- fixing it, I guess. Um, I just kind of lost hope in, In church
0: (laughs) well it sounds Um, like your way was blocked it sounds like you were told that you were literally told that you weren't allowed to uh you didn't have the authority only the people in authority are allowed to to read the bible for themselves which is really ironic for for um protestants because that was kind of a big part of the protestant reformation is that everybody can read the bible for themselves but when it really comes down to it if everybody's reading the bible for themselves everybody's on the level playing field we're not going to agree and so if if we're also in a system like in in a mental framework of we're going to find the precise rules and the precise ideas and this is how we're going to live our lives like we're not going to agree so we need to have some way of agreeing not to agree and we don't seem to have a, a, a theology of agreeing not to agree like um
2: yeah no, I, I, the, the last day I went to church, um, I remember the church had split. I'm not going to say any names or anything, but um, the church had split. Uh, one guy had led a bunch of people away. And a lot of it had to do with bringing in that, that Bethel ideology. And it, it was, yeah, it was, it caused chaos in our church. So church split. And I really liked, even though I had issues with both of them, I did really like the people, the pastor, and then the guy who, who, who led the other people away and started his own church. And so I had talked to, uh, the guy who left. And, you know, he gave me his reasons and he backed it up with scripture. I said, okay, cool. Now I'm going to go to the other pastor. So I went back to my church and after a sermon, um, I talked to him and he didn't give me any scripture. He didn't give me any arguments. All he said was, um, okay, go to their church and see how many people get saved on a Sunday and then come back to this one and see how many we save. That's all that matters. Hmm. And I was like, what? Like that, that was his, his whole thing. And so like that, upset me. And so I went back to the guy of the other church and told him that I was thinking of taking a break from church. Uh, but I was considering going to his church and he immediately like dropped into this whole thing of, oh, well, the world's going to be ending, uh, any day. You don't know when, and if you're not in our church, then the door is going to be shut up on you. I was like, damn. Okay. Uh, I'm not going to either church then. (laughs) And that's when I was like, I'm just going to do this on my own. Like, why not? And, uh, I actually, that I was probably, um 20, 20 or 21. And so I it was still several years before I, I ended up, you know, realizing I was atheist. And so those were honestly the, the best years of my of my life as a Christian, um being being away from the church. Um mm-hmm. but uh and I, I do want to clarify something as well. I did say that you know, I I, I claim to be a, a hopeful agnostic atheist. Um as mm-hmm. far as my claim to knowledge, I don't know. I am very hopeful. Uh, I know a lot of people think I hate God. I really don't. I, in fact, really want there to be something, but that's where my atheist comes in. I'm just not yet convinced there is something. So um, just wanted to clarify that. Yeah. I know there's different
0: mean, like people mean different things when they say atheism. Um, Mm -hmm. Actually, why don't you tell me what, what do people mean when they say atheism? I know there's a, there's a range
2: of meaning on that word. Um, so for me, atheists. So I, one of the, the, the best ways I've heard it put is, uh, by uh, Dan Barker, um, who was actually, a, a minister for a long traveling minister who's, who's now an atheist. Um, and he put it this way. Um, if all of the religions of the world are channels on your TV, atheism is the off switch. It's just, I'm not, I just, I'm not going to subscribe to it. I'm not going to believe it. So for me, it's, it's, I, I'm just not convinced that, that there's a God. I don't believe in one. I'm not anti-theist. I'm not against the idea of a God. I'm just unconvinced that there anything out there. Um, and then agnosticism is is a claim to knowledge. I don't know. I'm never going to say I know for a fact there's no God. I just, uh, I, I just don't know. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's just belief, belief in knowledge. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I've, I don't know if that made any sense. Yeah, I <laughs> I I would have said it slightly differently, but
2: I think I lost you guys for a second there.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um, Understanding that you don't, you don't believe that there is a God. Uh, And then agnosticism is there might be God. There might not be. Um, So. I'm really interested in talking about, uh, maybe more philosophically, about your reconstruction journey, because you had mentioned nihilism, and uh, I'm really into apologetics, and one of the strongest arguments for Christianity is that um, Christianity provides a foundation for ethics, and the argument goes like this, we all know that there is right and wrong, you can dispute that, but that's premise one, premise two, without God there is no foundation for ethics, point three therefore you need you know that's one evidence for god that's the moral argument um and so if you remove god and you've already mentioned this all of a sudden you have no foundation for ethics or no no you don't have as obvious of a foundation clearly people find a foundation as well as as other parts of your life you know the the bottom kind of drops out so how did you what was your journey like trying to put that bottom back in and, and fill it with something
2: else. Um, so yeah, Christians and atheists, um, what we would call morality, uh, it's, it's basically the same thing. Like everything that has to do with morality has to do with, uh, the, uh, the effects on someone's experience. Um, and Christianity takes it a step further and says that's good because God, because you know that God's character defines what is good and what is what is wrong. I would disagree um, on based on a lot of passages in the Bible. But um, as far as that being the foundation, okay, cool. You have this objective foundation. I don't have the objective foundation. I, my my foundation is subjective. But once I establish a foundation at all, I can then make objective claims about it. And so my foundation is, uh. The definition of sentient light is or life is being able to experience and being able to um, like like most animals, well, pretty much everything that exists wants to run run from suffering and wants to remain in a place of well-being or pleasure across the board. and it's the only thing that we share with everything that's sentient. And so yes, there's a, a subjective starting point, but I think it is a very good one. And I think it lines up perfectly with biblical morality. Uh, And so from there, even though it's a subjective starting point, I can then make objective claims about that and make them consistent. And once again, it lines up almost perfectly with with the Christian uh, view of morality. It's just, they take it a step further than I do. Um, But I think think my arguments for it are are solid and consistent. Um, And I actually, when I have this talk with a lot of Christians, we end up pretty much agreeing on everything um just except for that starting point um and so yeah being kind of going into nihilism a bit um yeah it was kind of like what's the point why it doesn't matter but then it was like well no I can help like this is all we have this you know we we are born we experience we die why not make this experience as best as I can make it for everything um and so that that has become kind of my purpose I guess mm-hmm.
0: What, what was it like to, like, what was going on in your life? Uh, you mentioned you were touring with your band. Uh, how did your, your faith deconversion affect, you know, your social life? Your, the other people around you, were people supportive of that? Or um, did, was there
2: pushback? Uh, there was not a lot of support. Um, uh, my family at the time, I don't think they really believed me. Uh, I mean, I'm not trying to, you know, I, we, we talk about it sometimes, but, um, there had been, uh, some things in our family that had shaken some things up and, and we were no longer the the same Christian family where we were before. So this was kind of just another thing happening. Um, as far as my friends go, when I left the church, there was only a few friends I really kept in contact with. And a lot of them agreed with me on certain things, but weren't willing to take that next step. Um, and I also just kind of distanced myself from most people that for several years, like when I left the band, uh, I really didn't seek out new friends. I didn't hang out too much. I, I kind of was by myself a lot. And so a lot of it was just me thinking, sitting at home alone thinking, um, and then occasionally talking to a friend or two or to my family. And, and it really took a number of years before I started to get any kind of support. Um, but Yeah.
1: We hear that a lot that the the journey is lonely.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it is, and and also I I should add a big part of that too. Like I definitely did not do a good job at the beginning of. uh, I like I said, I I I was a very angry atheist, and so I did actually push a lot
1: of people away. um, It's part of by being so angry. Yeah, I think that's a common part um, of that journey.
2: (laughs) Um, Yeah, and it's kind of funny because it's like. Oh, go ahead. Sorry.
1: It's okay. I'm um, just not knowing who to trust also like it. Yeah. yeah. It sort of shakes up all relationships. So you no longer know who you can talk to.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because I've heard people say this and it's, it's the same way I felt it's like, all of a sudden it's like, you know, you, you, when you, you can't just choose to believe something else. You have to become convinced. And so the moment I became convinced, I, I had to to believe that way. And then it was like, it's so obvious. Why can't you guys see this? And then we get like angry, like, look right here, this, 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 all these arguments and stuff. I was getting so angry, but again, it's like, it worked for me, but it's not going to work for everyone. And that's, I had to realize that. And I had to to calm down and stop trying to do what I hated. I hate when Christians, you know, you you hear it put this way all the time, shoving their religion down your throat. I was doing the same thing. And so when I realized that it was like, okay, chill out, this isn't going to work. And find something else to to put your mind to.
1: <laughs> yeah, I I read about that recently. Just how we can so easily turn our fundamentalism into something else. Um, yeah. Whether it's just yeah anything else really, you mm-hmm. just turn it. You turn that legalism yeah. into any other subject you want. But you can't do that. Like we need to deconstruct from that as well. <laughs> that <Yeah>. whole mindset.
0: <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and it really is a mindset of fundamentalism that we get raised with, and I was even discussing that in a podcast with, uh, well, Daryl Shantz, whom you know, uh, who is Orthodox, and they just have a different way of seeing truth in the Orthodox Church, which allows for more diversity of thought, but in, in the Western Church, like, it's just very clear lines, and it's fundamentalist, and you have to have the right ideas and the right rules, which is why we have so many denominations, and then Even when people leave, it takes a while to get that fundamentalism out of their system. And it's still kind of a hallmark of, I think, Western society is this fundamentalism and everybody's kind of angry about their ideas. And you have to agree exactly with me. I did want to validate, though, like, I think it's part of the experience, but it's I, I want to validate that, like, the church has a way of shutting people down. Like, you're not allowed to speak. You're not allowed to read the Bible for yourself. You're not allowed to think. And I do feel like when people step out, they just, they want to talk. They want to say, these are my ideas. And I think that there is something healthy about that. It might all come out Mm -hmm. all at once, like a, like a pipe that's been clogged for a while, but (laughs) you know, it's like, you got to speak, you got to have a voice. And I don't know. I just Mm -hmm. validate that in you that, um, you know, good on you
2: for having a voice and for speaking. Yeah. I, I, the other thing that used to drive me nuts was, uh, if if it wasn't shut down it was just the i don't know ask god when you get to heaven it's like Mm -hmm. come on (laughs) come on
1: just uh yeah that 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 bothered me a lot Mm -hmm. um do you argue to that you know know. it's sort of uh she'll start like it's just so like shutting you down (laughs) yeah
2: yeah yeah i i i wish uh, i think part of the reason too why i got so angry uh when I uh realized I was an atheist was um you know seeing I said earlier how excited people were to worship God I was excited about learning about him and mm-hmm. I was excited about theology and so it was kind of like frustrating like don't you guys want to know him more like that's why I'm asking these questions and so then when I became atheist that's when I was like throwing that stuff back at him like I was angry like eh, but yeah
1: mm-hmm. yeah people get sense. excited
2: about different things I guess yeah,
1: yeah. It makes sense yeah
0: Yeah, sometimes it feels like people that are post Christian, or in some kind of deconstruction journey, care more about theology than people that are in it. (laughs) But we're able to, (laughs) like, we're able to honestly discuss it, because when you're in it, you there's certain things you can't say, or else, you know, you'll lose your friends, or you'll be seen as an enemy, or Mm -hmm. um, there's just not an ability to have that free thought sometimes, because you need to protect the organization.
2: Yeah. I, uh, I've also noticed, uh, well, I, I really do enjoy having discussions, you know, me as an atheist, uh, talking to someone who is a Christian. I also find myself a lot arguing theology still with people, like mm-hmm. as if I'm still a Christian, like I've had conversations pretty recently where it's like, I, I get sucked right back up into it. And I'm, I'm, I'm like quoting certain verses, they're different things. And it's like, I don't even believe this, but I'm still really enjoying having this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Well, there is something
0: really fun about it. And like I was saying to somebody on Twitter, like, like there there's good debates and there's bad debates, right? And like there are people that go to apologetics just because they want the easy, quick win, you know, and they're and they're share mm-hmm. they're they're taking these little clips and they're like, William Lane Craig totally slaughters so and so, you know. And and anytime I see those clips, I'm like, Oh, come on, guys, you know, but when you listen to the debates and it's like three hours long and they each have a 20 minute and and then a thirty minute and a ten minute and they're back and forth and it's not really clear who won, but there was a really clear engagement of the minds and people really thought clearly about these issues yeah. and now you you have a, a richer understanding not just of theology but everything that it touches on you know you, you I learned a whole bunch about astrophysics and history and all these branches of science. It is really fun when people do apologetics well, it's just rarely done (laughs) and it's not nearly as publicized, you know, the things that get shared are these little 30 second clips and, and one minute clips and all these, you know, angry fundamentalists on both sides, honestly, which I find really unfortunate.
2: Yeah. No, I I do I love uh, watching debates still. i I actually really like um like William Lane Craig's debates and his uh mm. cosmological argument. I think that's a very interesting one. Um, I mean I I do disagree with him, but I still really enjoy hearing him talk about it. Um, but that that is something that I, I spend a lot of time doing still is, is watching those debates and just trying to soak it all in. Um, and yeah, there's definitely bad debates, but the good ones are very interesting. And and mm-hmm. man, I, I can't get enough of them.
0: Yeah. Yes, yeah, so the Kalam Cosmological Argument, if I remember, it's um, whatever comes to exist has, has a cause, and the universe came to exist, therefore the universe has a cause. And whatever caused the universe must have been such a thing that it could cause the universe, meaning it was spaceless, timeless, and and without matter, immaterial, because those are the things that came into existence at the Big Bang. And it must have free will because free will is the only thing that can be eternal and unchanging and then change. And so in that argument, then he proves that, well, he he suggests that it's likely that there was some sort of an intelligent creator who is spaceless, timeless and immaterial. Um, I'm curious, how, how would you disagree with that? You say you disagree with his argument. Um,
2: what is your beef with it? Um, well, so yeah, the argument, uh, it, it, whatever begins to exist has a cause, the universe began to exist. Therefore the universe has a cause. Um, that's something I haven't thought about too much. Um, I really like hearing debates on it. Um, I guess I would say we don't know that the, whatever begins to exist has a cause. Uh, we've never experienced something just beginning to exist. Uh, and so I don't really have anything to say about that. I, I know that's not very convincing, but, um, like, yeah, I, that's not something I have I've argued much at all. I, I do find it interesting. Cause I do think it's, it's hard to argue. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, if, if you do prove that the universe has a cause, you have a lot of work to do to prove to me that it was a personal God. Right. Um, so yeah. that it, it's not very meaningful to me. Um, most of your work is still ahead of you, even if you can convince me of that. Um, But see, I don't necessarily have a problem. Like I said, I I am hopeful, agnostic. I, I don't hate the idea of there being a God. I'm just not convinced that we have him figured out if he exists at all or that any religion does. And so that's where, where you'll lose me. Um, But uh, yeah, that's really all I have to say about that.
0: Yeah, no, that's fair. And uh... I've, I've found the Kalam cosmological argument to be kind of a bedrock. I've had some pretty low moments in the last year, uh, but that's one mm-hmm. thing where it's like, it does seem like there is a God that caused it all. Um, because things don't just pop into existence uncaused out of nothing. Um, we've never observed that in nature. Um William Lane Craig likes to say that's worse than magic because at least magic you have a hat and you have a rabbit Uh, (laughs) yeah but you know things (laughs) don't just pop into existence now you know that's a long discussion but um I do understand what you mean that that doesn't bring you all the way to Jesus Uh, there's a lot of work to be done yeah um you wanted to talk about you're a vegan now and I have never had yes. a discussion with a vegan. Um, I've heard a lot of jokes about vegans and that's kind of the extent of my knowledge about vegans. Um, yeah,
1: I'm sure you've heard them all. I'm
0: sure you've heard them all. I won't waste your time, uh, you know, with that. but what was it? Cause I think it was a philosophical decision for you first and foremost to become a vegan. Is that correct?
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, like I said, my, I really kind of started to get into ethics and stuff. Why are things good and bad? What can I do to uh, increase the experience of others for the better? And just naturally, I mean, to be consistent with that, I, I really had no choice. Um, and so, I mean, it, yeah, it it just, I you know, I, I had been aware of some of the good vegan arguments for a while, but I was just like, eh, like it just didn't impress me. And then- at one point, like I was saying earlier about, you know, you, you can't just change your beliefs. You have to be convinced that at one point I, I just became convinced and I, I couldn't go back. Um, and yeah, I, uh, that is veganism is, is probably the most important issue to me. Um, so I am, I am more than ready to dive into that.
0: Sure. Go ahead. Um, yeah. And it, it makes sense to me because like one of the most important issues in ethics is the question of you know, how do you, how do you treat people and how do you not treat people like animals? Because Mm -hmm. that's like, if you look at all the problems in history, it's, you know, mass slavery or annihilations or things like that. But then if you stop and think Mm -hmm. about it, we do all those things to animals and it's okay in society, but that's, that's not our pets though.
2: What's that? Not our pets though. That would be wrong. Yes. Right.
1: We pick and choose which ones we're allowed to.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think the, one of my favorite arguments on this is actually from uh, uh, a uh, YouTuber named Alex O'Connor. And the way he puts it is this, um, you know, if you have a racist, what does a racist do? They look at someone who has, you know, say it's difference in skin color. And they say, because of that difference, you know, I don't have that skin color. You have that skin color. I'm going to treat you differently. And what the non-racist says is, I recognize that there is a difference. I just don't think it's morally relevant. The only thing that's relevant is their experience, and that's the one thing we we do share. And so, when you look at a cow or a pig in a factory farm, what could you take away from that? That if you also took it away from a human, you would be fine in torturing and killing them for food. And I can't think of anything you could take away. Um, people will point to intelligence; they're not as intelligent as us. Well neither is a baby you know Mm -hmm. does that mean you know and so uh or i mean you could say a a mentally disabled person like is it then okay to to torture them no taking away intelligence does not grant you the the right to torture someone and so until someone can can answer that argument i i'm going to be unconvinced i'm going to treat them as if i would you know at the same way i treat my children and my dogs and my wife (laughs) and everyone else (laughs) Yeah, and that's fair. I mean, that's that's
0: consistent because, you know, as a Christian, I would say, well, humans are made in the image of God, whatever that means. And nobody knows what it means, by the way. But there is some sense in which humans are divine and then animals are not divine. So that, you know, there's a clear line of distinction within Christianity. But when you remove Christianity, it does become very hard to figure out why humans are any different because you can... Mm-hmm. I mean, there's animals that are very intelligent. There's animals that, that have, um, uh, you know, the ability to, to recognize themselves in the mirror, like they're self-aware. They know it's themselves, not just another animal. Uh, there's animals mm-hmm. that, you know, have memories and, and social interactions and all the different things. Uh, so it is difficult to draw that line. So I, I respect your, your decis- decision to say that you're going to treat animals like you would treat humans. I understand how you would get there.
2: And people people do have the the ability to extend their moral consideration um, to non-human animals and they do it. And they're like, I brought up pets. We clearly do it. We treat them as people. And you know, when, when Michael Vick was gotten all that trouble for dog fighting, uh, if I would have said, hey, maybe that was part of his culture. Uh, it's, it's his life. Who are you to push your views on him? People would have freaked out. Everyone was against Michael Vick doing that. But then I say, you probably shouldn't eat that burger because you're paying a company to breed and torture animals just to satisfy your taste. Well, I'm an extremist all of a sudden. Mm
0: -hmm. And just, just for clarity, just because I, I'm just interested in this. I've never had this conversation before. Like, do you see there as being kind of a range of um, I don't know what to say, like dignity or sentience in animals? Like is a fly the same as like a cow or do they kind of go up in scale
2: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a little hard to answer. I choose to not hurt or kill uh, whenever it is not necessary. And so I don't often kill insects. Um, But as far as the scale goes, um, I mean, there's a few different things that there really is a scale as far as what they are able to experience, um, how aware they are, uh, how their ability to actually feel physical pain, Um, do they have a nervous system or not? You know, that kind of thing. Um, but then also, you know, you get into animals that are social animals, then you have, well, if they're gone, then there is suffering in the ones left behind. And then of course, up to humans, especially like if if a human dies and you have, you know, a ton of suffering around that. And so there is a, a scale. Um, I think overall, when it is unnecessary, then don't do it. Um, you know, there's the argument you hear all the time. If you were trapped on an island with a pig, would you eat the pig at that point? Would, would you still be vegan if you ate the pig? Uh, I'd eat whatever the pig was eating first. Um, but uh, if the pig and I were on a boat together and crashed on a rock, well, at that point, it is necessary for me to eat that pig. Um, to, well, obviously to keep myself alive, but then I, I would suffer more. Uh, my, because of my awareness, I would suffer more than the pig would dying. And then my family would suffer more knowing that I was dead um, over the pigs. And so it's, I mean, you can get into all these details and stuff, but uh, yeah, my, what I try and stick to is if it's unnecessary, then don't do it Mm -hmm. and taste pleasure in the the face of 70 billion land animals dying a year to me is completely unnecessary.
0: Yeah. It's. Yeah, I can I can understand that, and what you mentioned about the the hierarchy, I know, I understand like this is me being fundamentalist in my questions, like trying to figure yeah. out the rules are. But I'm just curious, like I'm just uh, like I know that there's and William Lane Craig has mentioned this in debates and talking about the problem of evil that there's um, they've discussed three levels of pain in animals, like an amoeba and and single celled organisms. If you prick them with needles or something, they'll move away from it but they're not really Mm -hmm. experiencing pain a cow or um or a frog perhaps is a better example if you poke that it's able to move away and have some sense of uh you know that was hurting me um but Mm -hmm. uh, something like a chimpanzee can have the third order of pain as far as as they see the needle approaching they're already existentially feeling oh no i'm gonna get hurt or you know they can they can experience pain in the sense of dread or in the sense of ouch that really hurt 30 seconds ago whereas even a dog it seems like you know if they get hurt and it was an accident 30 seconds later they're past it like (laughs) they're not suffering in the same way that that a human would so Mm -hmm. um i can see how those higher order animals that do have more of a, a capacity to experience pain and to have more of an experience of that you certainly wouldn't want to eat Or or cause unnecessary suffering. I'm curious. um, Is this like would you be okay with ethically sourced meat? And would there be a way? Because I know that the way that we do slaughterhouses and everything like that is really. I don't know what to say. It's it's unethical, um, and it's not very humane to the animals. Would there be a possibility of an animal having a wonderful life on a farm somewhere and then? you know, painlessly dying and that would be okay? Or is it just no unnecessary suffering
2: whatsoever? Um, So I've, I've discussed this a little bit with some people. Um, First of all, I, I, some people will say the word, you know, ethically sourced or humanely slaughtered. Most of the time that doesn't make sense. Um, A lot of farms, like say chicken farms that, that will, will will buy chickens and uh breed them for selling eggs they are buying those from factories that breed them specifically to lay the eggs and uh natural chickens in the wild lay about 10 to 15 eggs a year whereas ones on farms will lay over 100 Mm -hmm. um and so it's actually very damaging to them in fact the best thing you can do for those chickens is to not eat their eggs is to give the eggs back to them so they can regain the calcium um and again the only reason we're eating those eggs is because you know we we the as far as what's in the eggs the contents you can get that anywhere else the only thing you can't get is the taste and so again I, I don't think it's necessary to keep those chickens now if it truly is a farm where where you know for generations it's been the same family raising the same animals and they let the animals live a full life And when they die they eat them i i still wouldn't eat that meat i'm not I'm not so interested in that argument either. I'm really focused on the, 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 the the big companies and the fake ethically sourced um, farms and stuff. Um, Yeah. I, I, I guess I'm not going to say I necessarily have a problem with people owning those animals. Um, Yeah. um, And again, I'm not going to, I'm not going to judge people who are, you know, in the past who, who needed that, you know, to survive or even people now who need that to survive. Um, I just, I don't, I think we're getting to a point where owning animals period and eating them is just not necessary. Mm. Um, let the animals do what they want to do. And we can have a full, uh, or fulfilling diet without ever eating these animals or, or needing to have them in captivity at all. Um, but yeah, I guess that's what I have to say on that.
0: Because you can, this would be the other question that everybody asks is, can you get your nutrients from sources other than meat?
2: Yeah. Um, now, there, there are different types of diets. Um, for me personally, what, what has worked really well for me is um, I subscribe to uh, a shake company called Huel. And so, you know, protein, my omega-3s, all that stuff I get out of these shakes. Okay. And, you know, it's, it's people talk about the price of, of vegan dieting. I pay 65 bucks and that feeds me breakfast and lunch every day of the week for a month. Um, right. and it's, so it's super cheap. And then for dinner, you know, pastas, salads, um, there's imitation stuff. That's pretty good. It's not healthy, but, um, you know, it, it does help to eat a burger now and then, you know, or eat a sausage you know, something like that. And I get my vegan ground beef and put it in my spaghetti sauce. It helps. Um, uh, and so, but yeah, like, uh, I've, I started, uh, back last February, I did a full month and I did not prepare. I did not know what I was doing. And I, I did not feel good. And then I took a few months to, I was doing half and half really trying to figure out how can I do this and just research. And yeah, I I went full vegan again, probably around July and I've been ever since. And I've, I've been fine. I've, I've uh, you know, I've I've obviously lost some weight and stuff, but as far as like people talk about being fatigued, not getting, I I haven't felt that I'm still working full-time. Yeah. Really no issues at all. And, And as far as taste goes, like I really don't mind the taste at all. There, there's stuff that is really good. Um, even if it wasn't uh, you know, I'd still do it, but it's not, not that difficult, especially today when especially it's becoming today, more yeah. popular and more people are, are, are buying these products. And so more research is going into them. They're becoming more available. It's, it's really not difficult.
0: Is it fair to say just for the record that this is not something to jump into lately? You need to do your research so that you
2: don't become nutrient deprived. Um, yeah, I, I do think that like, actually a lot of times I talk to my friends, the way I say it is, um, just start experimenting, like go get some, some vegan imitation options. And instead of eating a burger tonight, eat one of those, see how you like it and start to find out what works for you, what tastes good. And I mean, you know, in my, in my head, I'm like, no, like it's an obligation to, to, to to change right now. I know that's not going to happen. And so I think like it worked for me then taking a step back finding out what I liked, finding, doing research and finding what I needed. Um, because most people really don't care about what they put in their bodies. They don't care about their omega threes. They go to McDonald's, you know, they, they really don't give a shit at all. And so what, once you start researching, you find what it is you need. Um, it's easy to find it then. And it's, it's available. And, and uh, yeah, it was, it was a, a, a transition for me. And, and now I'm comfortable. I'm happy. I'm getting everything I need. And honestly, it's actually a cheaper option for me. I know that's a big concern for a lot of people but
0: um yeah and i know it is better for the planet as well it it takes a lot more uh you know energy and greenhouse emissions to raise a cow than to eat what the cow
2: would be eating (laughs) yeah so one of the things that people attack me for a lot is like okay obviously if factory farms went away like that would do a lot for the environment um but they say oh but you're still killing animals while farming well first of all I think it's necessary we eat, and so I'm not saying we're gonna eliminate suffering, I'm saying we need to, to reduce that suffering. And by getting rid of factory farms, we would lose 75% of farms on this planet. All And, and it was funny because yeah, like, like you said, we're feeding 75% of what we grow to our food. It is extremely wasteful and we're destroying the planet doing it. So by actually getting rid of factory farms, you're going to reduce the suffering of of animals that die in the fields due to farming. And the farms themselves are going to decrease by 75%. And so it, it is, it would be massively beneficial for the planet (laughs) to get rid of factory farms. Um, And we'd still have plenty of food for everyone. Well, Lee, this has been a fascinating discussion.
0: Um, Something that's interesting. Yeah. Something that's great about this podcast is just talking about, about these issues about deep issues with a wide variety of people. And it's in, just interesting to to trace your journey from Mennonite to AG and then into agnostic and atheist and now veganism and how you've kind of figured something out that's working for you and something that's yeah. healthy for you, something that makes sense mentally and, um, something that works for your family and for your music um so thanks for sharing your story with us yeah thanks for having me guys this was a lot of fun yeah,
1: yeah. this is really good thank you so much lee
0: is there yeah. a place that people can find your music
2: um so uh yes um the music i do for myself i have a soundcloud it's just lee barrett zook and i just i'll write random songs a lot of it is is sort of um you know, cinematic instrumental stuff. And then, um, uh, my friend, uh, Bobby Hattari, he actually, um, he's a filmmaker and I score most of his films. Um, okay. and so if you, if you search Bobby Hitari on YouTube, um, you know, his short films will come up and, and, uh, and, um, then I also have a few projects that are pretty recent, um, some cover projects, a couple of friends from Austin and I are doing, and those will, that's a different genre that's more back into the the heavier stuff um, and so that that will be releasing in the next uh, couple months um, and just on my Facebook page um, so yeah, yeah. That's well, a we get legit. a couple
1: of links from you that we can put on the yeah we'll get a couple links from you to put on the description yeah. here of the blog and of the podcast yeah
0: yeah well thanks for sharing awesome. your story with us yeah, good thank week.
2: you guys All right, bye YouTube.